Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. We are the friends in your ears catching you up on everything that's going on this week. I am Holly Wainwright and I have spent a lot of time this week looking for a gold sparkly top to wear to tomorrow night's live show in Sydney Um, and not finding one. There's your mistake. You can't set yourself a goal of what you need to find because you'll never find it. No. I spent a lot of time trying to find the perfect top and failing. I'm joined by Rachel Corbett. Hello. Who is standing in for the very busy and absent Mia Friedman today. The fourth wheel of our show, and what a delightful fourth <laughs> wheel she is. Thanks. And I am joined by Jesse Stevens. Hello. Who, I don't even know who you are anymore because you're doing Pilates and you're like an exercise goddess. You it's, only used to be about eyeliner and stuff. I know. It's all we're talking about now. I'm really into it. And the thing about Pilates and probably yoga is that you can't do it and not talk about it. That's it's the true. rule. So That's you're it. always trying to convert people, as we know through Lies, who yelled at me for 12 months to join her at Pilates. Now I'm like, Lies? How good's Pilates? And she's like, shut up. It's a bit like being in love. You know, like when you have to just mention their name every five minutes? Yeah. Like, oh, Bob says. Oh, Bob said this. Oh, my house with Bob. <laughs> You're like that with Pilates now. You and Pilates in love. Today on the show, Beyonce and Jay-Z have just released a new album together two years on from the one she made where she told the world he was a lying, cheating, dirting dog. Which begs the question, is this the most public patch-up in pop culture history? Plus, we need to talk about men and their feelings. What we're not going to talk about on today's show that might seem a little bit glaring is the horror show that is US immigration policy right now. I'm sure that many of you have been distressed to see the images of children crying at the US border if they've been taken from their parents and locked up. It is becoming an issue that we obviously would love to talk about on this show, but we thought, first of all, we would leave it to Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay, which is our show about all things Trump. We will have Mia and Amelia Lester talking about that tomorrow, but it's likely we'll be discussing it on Friday too. But first, in case you missed it, dogs are smarter than cats. You ain't nothing but a how did this make it into the rundown? <laughs> Honest to God. Everyone was looking the other way for a minute and oh. I slipped it in. <laughs> Jesse was like, here's my moment. <laughs> this is like science and stuff. A study from Vanderbilt University in the US counted the number of neurons in the cerebral cortex of cats and dogs. That's apparently the stuff that makes you smart. And the results are clear. Dogs had more. Dogs are smarter. Jesse Stevens, is anyone surprised? No, everyone knows dogs are smarter. I've had dogs and cats throughout my life. Cats are idiots. Cats get lost in dunas. My cat used to get stuck in the Christmas tree every year. It would get stuck at the top and go, meow. Dogs would never do that. Dogs know how to be cute in order to get what they want. I also witnessed my dog the other morning. He goes to my sister's room. He stands on his hind legs. He pushes the doorknob down, pushes into bed. He does it. And then when you walk in and you look at him, he's like, I don't know how I got here. Yeah, but- 
Hang on a second. Right? So I smart. often think that smartest person in the room is the person that doesn't necessarily require the attention of everybody else in the room. Like Ooh. I can usually tell somebody who's a bit emotionally unintelligent and a little less formed when they're the sort of, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And hello, that is a dog. A cat <laughs> is wandering around going, I'm going to piss off and go down the shops. I don't even need to be around you. I've got stuff to do. I'm going out the cat flap and I will be back at a time that I choose. Um, our cat left out the cat flap. Never came back. It just yeah. went and lived with the neighbours because it forgot where it lived. Or was it over you? Okay. <laughs> How about that for an option? No. Yes. No. Why? Okay. So if dogs are, if it's official and dogs are smarter than cats, and I am also on team dog, I'm not a cat person, but why do cats have the reputation for being smart? We all know that saying about like dogs have owners, cats have staff. Because of the reason that they, that I just expressed, that they don't need to have you all the time. They're like doing their own thing. They seem like they're more emotionally intelligent because they don't. They can be alone. See, you're mistaking independence for intelligence. No, no, dogs know. They look at people that walk into their house and they say, "I'm a big cute, and you're going to give me some food and some pats." And they lay on their back. They do the lay on the back trick, which is like, "Oh no, I'm submissive," but really they're in power. They're oh, there always is in power. There is no calculating thought in there laying on the back thing. Oh. It's just like, oh, this feels scratchy. <laughs> oh, it's Cats, if you look at a cat in the eye and you go, meow, it thinks you're speaking to it. It thinks you're speaking cat and it starts going, meow. Sorry, I can speak dog. You just go, do that. I think they look at you like you're a bit crazy. It's like, I know you're not speaking my language, whereas cats think you're offending them. Yeah, because they're like, sweetheart, I'm a cat. I do that sound. (laughs) This is a debate as old as time and we we thought we'd solved it, but team dog, team cat, this could go on forever. Please weigh in. Tell us in the out louders window which team you're on. Also, in case you missed it, Beyonce and Jay-Z. They dropped a surprise album on Sunday and the world went a bit loopy. Now, Beyonce has form in dropping surprise albums. It's a absolute testament to her power that she does this. She disappears and makes all this amazing art without a skerrick of it leaking and then boom, it just drops. And on Sunday, Beyonce and Jay-Z, who are on a world tour together at the moment, dropped an album called Everything Is Love with a video of them in the Louvre, like just taking over the Louvre, like that's a normal thing to do, the very fancy art gallery in Paris and gyrating around and being amazing with all their dances. But the thing that interests me is the last time Beyonce had a big album, it was Lemonade. It was the one where she said Jay-Z had cheated on her. He came out and said, yeah, I cheated on you. They washed all that dirty linen in public. And now they're reuniting in public too, which has led lots of critics to say they are performing a marriage in real time. What do we think about that? Fair play. They know people are going to be interested. They know that people want to know the ins and outs of their relationship. So why not make a bit of cashola out of it? People are going to care whether they're together, they're apart, somebody's cheating, somebody's not. You package that into a nice little album. People buy your pain. Hello, another house for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe it. I find that the whole thing is really contrived and performed and I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what the fascination is. And part of me just looks at it and goes, really, do we honestly think that this has any skerrick of truth to it? What do you mean? Like, that I don't know if they're performing their real marriage or if they're just doing what they think people want to see. Did Jay-Z have an affair? Meh, maybe. Oh, like, I think he did. Uh, or maybe that's <laughs> something that he's always done. Are they in love? Are they not in love? I, I just don't think that there's any any truth to this performance. But Gosh, people care. I people care. People care desperately about it. But aren't they just I playing do. two characters? They're just playing yes. two characters. I also don't know... <sighs> 
Hmm. I feel like I'm going to get hate for this because there's probably going to be people listening who have gotten back with a partner after they've cheated and think it can be done. <laughs> I have doubts. And there's something about Beyonce that's like Queen B. She is, you know, feminism. She is power. She is. But she's also gotten back with the bloke who cheated on her. But that's what I love, love, love about them. What? I love that about them. I love about but Jay-Z and Beyonce, the fact they've been together for 20 years, a very long time. They've had a very difficult, complex relationship, which most relationships are like that. Go through lots of different phases. They've had babies. They've had miscarriages. They've got married. They've split up. They've got back together. Like, this is life, right? And I love that the version of coupledom and love that they put out there is messy because love is messy. And, like, I love the fact that we all know one of the most iconic gossip moments of all time is the video of Beyonce's sister, Solange, kicking Jay-Z in the elevator. Remember that? That was Mm. awesome. (laughs) And then we've all, like, extrapolated later that that was probably all to do with the cheating situation and da-da-da-da-da. In their New World tour, Beyonce and Jay-Z enter the stage in an elevator. Like, they just take all this sort of myth around them and they spin it on their heads. And I love it because it's just like... This is what relationships are like. Oh, like I, I mean, I'm, don't, I'm not suggesting they're normal. Like they are worth an, a conservative estimate is $1.3 billion. They are richer than some nations. Well, very, very small nations, but they're richer mm. than they're richer than corporations. Like they are hugely powerful and they're now directing a lot of that power into really serious issues for the African-American population. They're amazing. Like, I, I think they're amazing, but I also love the way they perform their relationship. I don't mind. I think it's great to own the stuff that's crappy that gets laughed about and made fun of because you're right, life is difficult and weird and whatever. And for the most part, celebrities usually take their PR people out on the tour of like, everything's fine, nothing to see yeah, here. Exactly. We're totally happy. We're best friends. We're not together anymore, but we love each other just as much Where as when we went down the aisle. Rip that script up when she was filmed like smashing car windscreens in a, with a baseball bat and screaming about his cheating. That's what that's what people feel. Like I love Yes. Yeah. Yes. She so, rewrote the script. Yeah, I think that's great. I but I still sort of I, I guess I just find it difficult to think that you can truly get back with somebody who's had his bits in another person's bits and be like, Oh, I feel so happy about this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Mamma Mia out loud. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. It's been an extraordinary week in the push against gender-based violence in Australia. On Monday night, thousands and thousands of women and men gathered around the country to celebrate the life and protest the death of Eurydice Dixon, the 22-year-old Melbourne comedian who was raped and murdered in Prince's Park. Her death has put violence against women right back on the national agenda, in everybody's Facebook feeds, on all our minds, a swell of awareness of the gross number of women, 30 in all this year so far, who've died at the hands of men. Back in the spotlight, we've also been discussing stories like that of Chi Yu, a 28-year-old Sydney woman who's still missing. 
her male housemate has been charged with her murder. And we've talked ourselves blue about public safety messages about our right to walk the streets, about the messages being directed at women to keep themselves safe. But what about men? What are they talking about? How are they being affected by this outpouring? And what can they actually do? Jesse Stevens, what are some of the conversations you're seeing men having? It was really interesting. Uh, Michelle Andrews, who's our night editor, who is based in Melbourne, went to the vigil and noticed that half of the people there were men and was really sort of surprised by that. So this conversation has become uh, extremely inclusive and it's not just women having it, which I think is really important. But there's a real contradiction in in how these conversations go down because we talk about what women can do and and we dismiss that and reject that and think this isn't women's problems. You can't tell us that the streets don't belong to us. But then when we start talking about men and what we can do to address the incredible violence being perpetrated by some men in our community, some feminists get really angry Mm -hmm. and they get mad that we are talking about men or focusing on men at all when the focus should be on the female victims. But I just don't think that's realistic. Why is that, right? Because I know exactly what you mean. I was reading yesterday, Clem Ford writing, the hashtag not all men is uh, insultingly simplistic. And I mean, her piece was was great. Her piece is often art. But I don't really understand the argument against men talking about violence and sexual harassment and all of these male it feels issues. Like what is it? What they is that can't argument? Win. It feels like in a lot of ways men can't win. So they go and uh, identify as allies and say, yes, we want to fix this. But then there are a lot of women yelling how much men hate them, which I don't think is a particularly helpful thing to say I see it on Twitter a lot so sort of radical feminists saying men hate us men hate us and I think we are alienating portions of our society the men in our lives that we love I know a lot of those men have been completely lost by feminism and they look at it and think I can't identify with this I feel completely left out I feel completely rejected and everyone thinks I I hate women so this ultimately the way I look at it is a male issue. The fact that we have men walking around on streets murdering women for no reason, there's there's just no rationale that we can possibly see, that to me is a male issue. And I I see the same thing with um, domestic violence, family violence. That isn't a women's issue, that women should be sitting around in groups going, how can we solve this? It's It's not our... We're not the source of the problem. So if the if the source of the problem is the idea then that it's men who should be sitting around in groups talking about why do some of us behave this way? Not and, and I don't necessarily mean the awful random attack on Eurydice and those and those very thankfully rare incidents. I am more talking about the endemic domestic violence problem that we seem to have and that no amount of awareness raising, because in the last four years at least, the profile around domestic violence and its prevalence and the enormous number of victims of it has never been more in our headlines, in our faces, but it the numbers aren't dropping. In fact, the one a week statistic that we've been talking about for ages, we're ahead of that. This year, we're in the 25th week of the year and there are 30 women who've been, have been murdered by men so far. So... If it's men who should be sitting around doing this soul searching and this talking, how does that happen? It has to begin 
with a an understanding of how to talk about your own feelings and what the hell is going on within toxic masculinity at the moment because there is a culture of men who absolutely don't know how to deal with their feelings. I know that sounds really simplistic, but if you look at alcoholism and drug abuse, it is overwhelmingly men because they have no idea how to communicate their own tensions. 97% of homicides are perpetrated by men. This is a complete crisis of masculinity. And as a society, I don't think we're doing a very good job at acknowledging it. Uh, suicide rates, we know, is six out of every eight that um, die by suicide are men. We know this. But every time we enter into a discussion about there possibly being a crisis of masculinity, a lot of people get very angry because they think, but there's a crisis in femininity and it becomes this big but competition. This, yeah. It drives me nuts that it's a competition because I don't think anything gets solved by women saying shush when a man expresses a certain opinion. And unless that – even just the mere fact of saying, gosh – I'm surprised to see so many men at this vigil for this young woman who died. Here's the thing. Not all men are assholes. Not all men hit their wives. Not all men rape women. There are a lot of men out there who are living their lives completely normally, being wonderful to the women in their lives, who cannot understand why any time they raise their hand, they're told to shut up because they've had their time. I find that that form of feminism does nothing for our greater cause. And this idea that when... You know, it's also difficult because when a man does something to a woman, the way that we look at that is it's in their nature. When a woman does something to a man, if a woman kills a man, we think, gosh, what is the root cause? Why did she do that? What went wrong in her life? Was he hitting her? Did he do something to her that forced that completely unfeminine behaviour out of her? And the truth is that... Men don't kill women or hit women just because they're a man. They kill and hit women because they have social issues, because they are, un you know, there's things in their past they're not dealing with. They've got, there's a whole complex raft of mental issues that mean that that is how somebody, now that could be the way they were raised. That could be that they got hit by their mother. That could be that they, you know, got thrown out when, you know, their parents died and they had lived on the streets. It could be anything, but it's certainly not because they've got a Y chromosome. And this idea that we won't listen to anything that they say because it's like you've had it you've been you've had your time it's our time what the hell does that achieve i know exactly what you're saying rach but i would argue also that what we're talking about is we're talking about a very small section of feminism here who are like that the vast majority of women live with men in their lives they have sons they have dads they have partners they have brothers they have friends most women are not turning around to men and saying shush. But hang so on. So I don't think that women saying shush is the reason why we're not getting to the root of what these issues are with men. Because I 100% agree with you. All of the things that you just said about the reason that men are violent, the reason that men have a toxic relationship with women if they do is a very complicated one. And that's the issue we need to address. But I would argue that I don't think that the shouty feminists on Twitter are the reason why nobody's listening to them. They've but got the loudest voices, hang on. though. Yeah. But they don't. And they I, don't have the most power. You know who on. has the most power? 
men. You think about Matt Damon coming out during the Me Too movement and saying, I think that we should understand there's a spectrum of sexual assault and also could we shine a light on men who haven't assaulted anybody. He got shouted down from the rooftops. He had to apologise and I don't think he had a bad point. I don't think that there is anything wrong with saying that there are men, good men out there and that we can't say that at the same time that we are saying there are men that treat women abhorrently because ultimately we need the good guys on our side and what doesn't get the good guys on our side is turning around and going shut up this isn't the time for you to talk and I do think that that happens if we did everything on an individual level where women are saying to men they're not shushing them in their lives they're having in-depth relationships if we looked at everything individually we wouldn't have this damn problem because everything that our problem is we speak with this one collective voice and then nothing gets but again and you know I just I'm gonna be I know that in this particular triumvirate, is that what we are? I don't know. That's a big word. I don't know it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm an island here. But again, I'm going to put my argument about the real world out there. We, as media people, are very loudly listening to the Twitter shouters, right? But you've got to remember that the, actually the mass media, the, the media that most people are consuming, is, pres- is overwhelmingly owned, edited, decided by men, is run by men, presented by men. Like, I think that we... We get too caught up in this. It's not those women, it's not the women who are fighting against not all men who are keeping men down. If there's a toxic masculinity issue, then we need all those allies, as you say, to stand up and fix it. And I don't think that a few shouty feminists are stopping that from happening. But the unfortunate thing is, is that as much as we don't want to admit it, not just us in the media, but everyday people get their cues from what they see played out on the screens and in the papers and whatever. And this idea of blokes sitting down and putting their arms around it isn't what has been displayed so we are very much a part of that and the shouty feminists and the things that are said in the media is very much a part of changing this conversation at a grassroots level but i would argue that what would be more what would be much more effective at changing the conversation at a grassroots level are things like my own personal bugbear the national rugby league standing up and having a zero tolerance attitude to domestic violence about men standing up and saying loudly we want to fix these problems there is zero tolerance tolerance and then we're, and we're fixing it totally. and that's not what's happening organizations that are run by men make a million excuses all the time for the shitty behavior of the men on their sporting teams on their boards yeah. on their television screens again i think that turning around and blaming toxic masculinity on women is the least helpful no, thing we'll ever do. As I'm a saying. culture we've done a really good job at making fun of all men who talk about their feelings who cry who uh, are not strong who, absolutely, you know, we have this such a clear idea. And this is the thing about feminism and patriarchy and everything is that patriarchy harms men just as much as it harms women. And feminism should be for both. The fact that men feel as though they can't talk about how they feel and they need to be the breadwinner and there's this enormous amount of pressure and there's this idealised image that they feel they have to live up to, it's killing them. Mm. We, we know that. But that's not coming from women. No, that's coming from the culture as a whole yes. for it's, it's centuries. A, it's no one thing or one person's fault. It's everything. It's all of these aspects. And I truly believe that as long, as well as the NRL standing up and not putting up with certain behaviour, big corporations calling out individuals who sexually harass female employees, people in the media saying that it won't be tolerated, as well as all of the little individual conversations that need to happen on a day-to-day basis, I do think also in the fabric of that it is important as a woman 
who has had a fairly privileged life by a lot of comparisons can look at a life of a white man in a poor suburb with no education and say, I have had a better life than you. Yeah. It, and and recognise that my gender is not the only part of the equation, that there are men really struggling. I think that's an important part of the whole conversation because that is also an element of how they get recognised. And if they don't feel recognised or that nothing that they say is valid, well, they're just going to stew and get the shits and feel like they can't join the conversation. I just think it's a it's an important part of the process. It's not as simple as oppressed and oppressor either. And we've done that throughout history. We've looked at it and gone, yes, this group of people are oppressing this group of people. And with a study of intersectionality, we know that it's far more complicated than that. But in terms of how we fix this, it's got to begin young and it's got to begin with with young men. So when I was at high school, we have people come in and talk to us about self-defence and how not to get raped. What we need is we need people going into men's schools when they're in year seven and talking to them about respect. A hundred percent. And what my dad works at an all-male school and they have a new initiative that starts when the boys are about 14 or 15, which is uh, based on Gus Wallen's Man Up series. And what they've done is they've got this project-based learning thing, but they talk about their feelings and they talk about their emotions and the problems that are facing men. There, there are some people who would find that very problematic and, and think, hang on, why aren't we talking? But these are the issues that they're facing every day and whether that's, you know, sometimes it might be their interaction with pornography and they need to sit there and go, I'm feeling really confused about this and I'm feeling confused because I can't see any good role models and Steve Smith or w- whatever it has to be. But if we start a culture of men talking about this, I think that could change a lot because all these things are related. The fact that men are super angry is manifesting in a lot of ways. It's hurting themselves. It's hurting women it it's i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more with both of you i just think that the idea that there are some women who who have a problem with the not all men those women do not have the power to shut that down you know what i mean like we don't men still have the the overwhelming amount of power in our society they can fix this i think that some of the frustration is again we seem to be having a conversation where we're somehow blaming some women for not letting the men deal with the problem with the women. You know what I mean? Like, let's... Let's just Hang on, try I don't think, and stop. I don't think it's blame so much. It's it's, it's just a com. It's just a comment. It's ladies. This isn't helping. It's yeah. not. It's your fault. It's yeah. just like this is not helping us do anything. And the other thing that really scares me is all about early intervention, right? And it's great to have programs in schools. I think that's all fantastic. But how the hell do you walk into somebody's home and fix the fact that their mum didn't love them? or they had an abusive father, or that they, like, that is where this stuff stems. 100%. And you can sit in as many conferences as you want and have as many people come in and give a motivational speech to you as you want. But if you are inherently broken inside because emotionally you weren't taken care of, you didn't get the kind of life that we all see on the telly, then that, how the hell do you fix that? But you know what? We can't fix something that we don't know about because men aren't talking about it. Mm. So we can't know what is the root cause of so many of these problems. We know that there are so many men who have been sexually abused as children who have never spoken about it. Mm. And then all of a sudden at 40 years old, they take their own life. We can't get to the bottom of what these issues actually are until men learn to talk about how they feel. Hi, my name's Amy. This is a question for Out Loud. Look, I need some advice for my 16-year-old daughter. I have a bit of a dilemma. 
We have a group therapy, people. If you have a question for us, we're very wise, of course. We know all of the things. You can call us anytime on our pod phone, 028999386, or email us out loud at mamamia.com.au. That is what Anonymous did. Hello, Anonymous. She writes, I'm 23 years old. I'm quite short and petite, but I've struggled with really large breasts, size 12G, my entire life, which has caused me a lot of pain and self-consciousness over the years. I have finally made the decision to get a breast reduction and I'm bloody excited. I'm sure people will notice. So my question is, what do I say if I'm asked where I've been for two weeks or when someone says I look different? I don't want to lie, but I also don't want to go into detail, particularly with my colleagues. I know there are a lot of people who wouldn't understand and may react negatively. Well, this is a little bit broader as well, I think, is what do you say when people ask you if you've had something done? But specifically in this instance, what should Anonymous say when somebody says, where have you been and why do you look different? I had my boobies reduced. (laughs) I I this I don't know if I'm living like an idiot around here, but I I always think that being honest is just always the best. Policy. All right, here's uh, here's a reason why anonymous might not want to do that. Right, so I'm in the coffee, I'm in the kitchen, I'm making a coffee, and Bobby or Janice or whoever comes in and says, "Oh, hi, anonymous, boy, well, did you go on holiday?" and and you go, "Um, uh, no, I uh, I had a procedure." And then you go, oh, are you? Oh, you look different. Oh, have you had something changed? And you go, yes, I had a breast reduction. And then they start asking you all the questions about it. Oh, have you always wanted to have that? How big were your boobs anyway? How much did it cost? Did it hurt? Why did you decide that? Have you been like? And you might not want to have that level of conversation with Bobby in the tea room. But if you had a size double G and you come back and you've got a size D, you think that people aren't going to have a conversation about it out at the back of the coffee room anyway? I would prefer them to have it without me there because if she's gone and got this procedure. It's clearly something that she's uncomfortable with, as in it's it's clearly something that, that she's struggled with probably f- physically, but I, I wonder too if it's something that you don't really just want to sit and talk to, talk about with people. Yeah, I and don't think that you have to then sit down and have a 45-minute conversation with people. And if somebody asks you a question, you can say, oh, I don't really want to talk about it, surely. But if you don't want to lie and she said she she actually doesn't want to lie if she can say i've been on holidays and she comes back and nobody notices just say you've been on holidays that's fine but if you are somebody that doesn't want to lie and that's part of the process of then the only option you have is to just not lie no i'd say i had a procedure and then i'd walk out of the room i think that's what i do because it gives it opens up to this big discussion then you're talking about your deepest insecurity which you really didn't want to do and you know what people notice less about you than you think because we're the center of our own universe we walk into work thinking that everyone notices everything about us everyone's relatively self-centered i think the person next to me could get a breast reduction i wouldn't notice Mm. i'd I, i might if someone pointed out i'd be like oh you might notice like Two weeks later yeah. when you were out for drinks and she was wearing a certain top. Like you might notice then, you might go like, oh, have you lost weight? Or, But I think one of this is that women are generally, and Rach, you do not suffer from this, but a lot of women do, we really worry about making people feel awkward or appearing like we're being uncooperative. So in this instance where someone says, oh, you look different, and you say, I've had a procedure, and then you stop talking. <laughs> <clears throat> like most women would feel really uncomfortable and think that was a bit rude. You know what I mean? Oh. And women never want to appear rude. So it's almost like you need a little line like, I went to Hawaii and the magical mermaids took my boobs away. 
But see, this is no. I am. I am riddled with this feeling. I'm always concerned about how I make other people feel. But that's why I end up just saying it because I go, if somebody's noticed and they've asked me, then it's easy for me to go, "Have my boobies chopped off?" and like make a little joke about it. Than it is for them to, for me to turn around and go, "Oh, I can't tell you," or "Oh, I had a procedure," and then walk off, and then that makes them feel more weird. I've just always found that the only way to diffuse a situation in my whole life is to just tell is just just be honest just be straight up that's it now what about if it wasn't anonymous's uh boob reduction but this is much more common especially in a workplace like us with lots of women what if it's botox nose job lip fillers like is it if somebody asks you if you've had something done in that kind of environment do you should you like do no. you have a responsibility to tell them? No, there Should is you no lie? obligation. It Should is your you body. Like- but hang on. If you're changing yourself physically to the point where you look different and you are going to say that you did it because you chose to do it and you wanted to do it, own it. Own it. If somebody comes up to you and says, did you have a nose job? You chose to do it. You're telling me that you're standing by the... Say, yes. But you know what, Rachel? If I get a nose job, you know I've got a nose job. Like, do we need to talk about it? It's implicit. It's well- implicit. My <laughs> nose looks different. We know it. I'm going to go, nah. And I'm then never going to look gonna, you in the eye. <laughs> I'm never going to come up to you. I'm not the type of person that if you had a nose job, I'm never going to come up to you and go, did you have a nose job? I mean, Janice in the office. There's always a Janice. You <laughs> Janice know, who totally can, would. Janice totally would. So we, Jan, I think Janice is Mia, by the way. But yes, <laughs> yeah. Mia would come up and go, you got your nose done. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like if you're going to do something that physically changes you, there's got to be a level of expectation that you're probably going to go, I reckon somebody's going to ask why I look different. No. Yeah, but I don't know that you necessarily have to tell them. I like Jesse's theory that you just look them dead in the eye and lie. Yeah. And then be like, I dare you. I dare you to call me a liar. To challenge me. I have a, a new face. To call me a liar because my lips are now three times the size that they were yesterday. <laughs> my lips look the same. And I then you walk out backwards. What are you talking about? It's just Tuesday. Goodbye. <laughs> Okay, Anonymous, I hope that was helpful. I'm sure it was vastly helpful. You know exactly what to do now. I feel like I wasn't helpful there, but I hope, you know, I hope. Just just do what you feel. That's the best thing to do. Just do what feels right for you. And good luck with the surgery. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It'll change your life. I have a friend it of mine will. who had, like, yeah. she was basically wearing bras, cutting into her arms. She had to put, go to, like, Clark Rubber and buy rubber to sew into her bras because they were cutting so deeply into because her breasts were so heavy. For some people, it is awful. It is debilitating. Debilitating. And it causes back pain. And good on her for making that choice. Go and do it and tell the bloody office whatever you want to tell them. (laughs) Exactly. Go running around with like, you can run now. (laughs) Yes, that's the biggest thing. I can run. (laughs) That is all we have time for on today's show. If you are a little bit sad that you are not coming to see us in Sydney tomorrow night, then maybe you should come see us in Canberra. Now, I'm not suggesting you should come see us in Canberra if you live in, like, Darwin. That might be. Oh, you could. Well, I think you could. they should because yeah. Canberra has Questacon. Oh, that's true. And us, but yeah, also we Questacon. Can, we keep saying that. But if you are in Canberra or in the vicinity, there are still a few tickets left to our live show. So pop along to mamamia.com.au forward slash events and get tickets for our show, which is on July the 27th. Until then, we would love to see you on the homepage at mamamia.com.au and thank you to the marvellous Eliza Ratliff for producing this show as always. Bye-bye. Bye. Have you seen Lynette yet? 
No, I'm dying to. The net. Nanette. Oh, I was like the Sandra Bullock film from the 1990s. I just, I'm not allowed to say that. I just hear it's the most amazing thing that ever happened. What's Nanette? It's the uh, Hannah Gadsby stand-up that's just dropped on. Oh. So it's a comedy. Is it bad? What? No, it's great. It's won all these awards. It's, yeah. It's, I don't know if we should talk about it, it or something. I think we should definitely talk about yeah. it, but I wonder if Friday's too soon 